Well, good morning to you. Good to see Jody and Kim and your family. Good to see you guys. Yeah. Good to see everybody else too. There was a little girl this morning over here sitting on Seth's knee, making eyes at me when I walked in. She ever sweet, eh? Oh my, my, my. Getting cuter every week. It's just amazing. Lovely, lovely. Well, uh, I, I'd like to mention to you this morning as we begin that um, I know you're all interested in Wayne, Pat's brother Wayne. Um, Wayne, when he was coming here on Sunday mornings, was responsible for all the hymn books. And he would come in and he, one of the first things he would do, he was always here on time, wasn't he? He was always here on time. And the first thing he would do is to make sure all the hymn books were out properly and facing the right way and all those things. And we miss him. Wayne had a stroke about, is it two years ago, Pat? Almost coming up two years ago. He had a very significant stroke and, uh, and of course, was in the hospital for quite a period of time. They went to March of Dimes, as many of you know. He's been at the March of Dimes for a year and a half. And they were really not um, designed to accommodate Wayne, but it was a new program they had just started to perhaps deal with stroke victims. And Wayne had had a very significant stroke. So it was a wonderful provision because the, really there was no other place that could really care for him. And they've done a wonderful job for the last year and a half. Now, just this past week, uh, he was admitted into the Davy home for extended care. He loves it. He thinks it's kind of a hotel. Right? He, he thinks it's a hotel. And, uh, and they have two different kinds of things on the menu at every meal. And, oh, he thinks it's just great. So that's wonderful. Isn't that a great blessing? And we're all concerned about how he would adjust to this. And so two of the girls, the principal girls who look after him at the March of Dimes for the last, you know, as I say, you know, year and a half, they went in to see him yesterday, Friday, Friday after work. They get off early and went in to see Wayne. And they walked in. They were very concerned. They were saying to each other, what are we going to do? Wayne's going to want to come with us. He's not going to like it here. That's for sure. And he's going to want to come with us when we leave. We want to go in and see him. But how do we deal with the issue of parting? So they went in and he started to extol the virtues of his new hotel that he was living in. And uh, they were there about three, four minutes, they said, when they phoned Pat and said uh, he was saying, OK, well, thanks for coming. We'll see you later. <laughs> and, and could hardly wait to, to see them to the door. You know, it was really it was fascinating. Uh, I wanted to share a few things. I met Wayne a number of years ago, as you can imagine. I was very young, and I met this young lady here. And, of course, her brother was Wayne. I had uh, known a little bit about Wayne. Wayne was the, the young man in the city of Sault Ste. Marie. Wayne was one of the most striking. Now, I wasn't into this big thing of handsome with men, you know what I mean? They're, they were just guys, as far as I was concerned. But I think pe- people would have said that in terms of uh, handsomeness, physical stature, broadness of shoulder, you know, all this kind of thing, size of bicep, you know, all that, then Wayne Horner would have went right to the top of the list. He was a very, very striking. I have this image of him walking down Queen Street between East and Brock, on the north side, and he's just walking along, you know. And his, in those days, they had the heels, uh, shoes with the little clickers on the heels, little steel clickers on the heel. Donnie, did you ever wear those? Little clickers on the heel. 
So when they, you know who had those besides uh, Wayne? It was Ron McCorry. Ron McCorry. <laughs> so, Ron McCorry. So he was walking down and just, you know, just clickety, clickety, click, you know, I'm Mr. Wayne Horner, you know, and this kind of thing. Uh, the girls just flocked to him, I, I, I guess, so I'm told. I never had that problem, but <laughs> Wayne had this huge problem, and the girls were just flocking after him and this kind of thing. You know, sometimes if you can take time, if you could take time, and if you just shrink it quickly, if you could take uh, 40, 50, 60 years, and you could just shrink it down to a few moments in time, then there'd be a great life lesson. But some of the life lessons are difficult to see because they take place over such a long, protracted period of time, but they're there nonetheless. So, I've painted a little bit of the picture of a young man of the age of perhaps 20 years old in the prime of his youth and strength. I had Wayne help me do something a number of years ago when it comes to some of the strength. Some people think that my sons get the strength from our side, and I think they do get some, but I know they get a lot from the other. So I had Wayne, he was on this beam, and there was a beam, we were moving a house. And he put his shoulder under this beam. And I'm telling you, when he put his shoulder under the beam, I didn't need to jack anymore. (laughs) Now, Wayne is reduced to just just a shadow of his former self. Of course, because of the stroke, he's lost a lot of his mental acuity and awareness. Some things he's very much aware of, other things he's not. Be due to the stroke. Not only that, but he's uh, very much dependent upon others. And the ones that he used to f- that used to flock after him, and that he used to reject and spurn and call names. Sorry, Wayne, but that's the truth. Are the very ones now that are looking after his every need, including the kind of needs that we as men would never want anyone to ever have to look after. You know what I mean. And it's sad, like there's a dimension to it where we are so grateful on the one hand to have people who are able to care for him and give loving care and very compassionate people. And I want to applaud them myself. They're just wonderful. And yet at the same time to be in that kind of circumstance and condition. One of the things that we tried to do with Wayne over the years as he's been very close to us is to try to bring him and influence him to come to a place where he'd be able to absorb the the truth, to absorb the truth of the gospel, the word of God, transform him from the inside out, to permit him to have power over the things that were enslaving his life, such as tobacco and cigarettes. I will never, ever knock anyone personally who smokes cigarettes. I used to smoke them myself and was very good at it. But we must speak the truth to one another in love and compassion and concern. We should never, ever hold back from anything that is true. So we used all of our influence uh, with Wayne to endeavor to bring him to a place where the truth would absorb into him. Because if you go to somebody who's enslaved with anything and just try to criticize them about it, it doesn't work. 
How would you like that if you're operating under the power of something and you can't release yourself from it to have someone come and criticize you over it? You know, it just that's that's that does. So you know that the only the only provision to release people from that kind of bondage and captivity is the truth. The revelation of the truth of God's word on the inside. Yet it has to be heard. It doesn't penetrate unless it's heard. And we had great difficulty with Wayne in trying to get him to the point where it was something would penetrate. It was, it was oftentimes it was like water, you know, from the back of the, of the duck. It just seemed to shed, shed, and shed. And so the very uh, provision for his release from that kind of bondage which is, comes through the ministry of the Word of God, not criticism, but the Word of God, not special programs, not patches, not chewing gum, but the Word of God. Say, so do you know that to be true? Absolutely. Been there, experienced it. So we said, you know, this, uh, this, is, going to, this is going to have its uh, way with you in terms of your physical body, and your health. But it wouldn't penetrate. There's no question in my mind that the addiction and the results of the effect of the effect of the of cigarette smoking on his body has had its way with him and tended towards the stroke in the first place. You'd think then that one, once one found themselves in that kind of a situation, say a year and a half ago, that would be then uh, motivation to uh, leave it, but not so. I remember a man who had an operation because of his cancer, and the result of cigarette smoking, he had a little hole to breathe through in his throat. And he would take the cigarette and put it up to the hole in his throat to get the, draw the tobacco or smoke into his lungs, you know, because he needed it and he wanted it. And that's the condition that, that Wayne is in, addicted now. He's in a place where he can't smoke and has the, pot, the patch on, can't smoke. Yesterday they found him trying to get down in the elevator, try to get the elevator down to the bottom, because if you go outside, maybe somebody out there has a cigarette, right? You could always bum a cigarette from somebody if you could just get outside. So I want to say not to use Wayne um, in a derogatory way, but just to speak the truth and just to say that we have an opportunity in our lives and there's a time to hear things that we need to hear. And if we don't hear them within the window of opportunity that we have, the chances are we'll never hear them. And it's terribly sad. This past week as I was preparing for, you know, what are we going to focus on? I probably had 10, 12 different things, you know, in terms of, and, and every place I turned, uh, it was a little stop sign, you know, just, I could have, I could have brought that to you this morning, but it just didn't seem to be the right message, it didn't seem to be the right emphasis, and so I went a, di- a different route, and a different route, and I like to come prepared, I do not like to come as I am this morning totally unprepared. But when I don't, because I don't like to be prepared, does not mean that that's a bad thing. You know what I mean. 
We like to be in charge. We like to be prepared. I'm not prepared. I have no idea really what to say to you this morning. Except one thing I do know, and I'm always on solid ground. I'm going to read some scripture to you today. And then we're going to see what the Lord brings up to us from the scriptures that we read together. So I invite you then to open your Bible with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. And I'll read beginning at verse 21. I read this over out in the front room just a moment ago. And it seems to me there's an emphasis here on harvest. The harvest has come. You know, uh, we are rapidly approaching a period in time that's going to be the harvest time. It's going to be harvest. And the Lord Jesus is going to harvest his people from this earth. My great desire, of course, is to be uh, a part of that harvest and for you to be a part of that harvest. Now, Jesus taught the people in parables, as you know. He always taught the people in parables. He would enlarge upon these things with his disciples, but he taught the people in parables. And verse 21, And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed? Do you bring a candle in to be put under the bed? Do you take the candle, do you put it under the bed? Is this what you do at your place? Or not to be set upon a candlestick? There is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man of ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, he's advancing the idea that there will be no secrets. There are no hidden things. Ultimately, everything that is now hidden will be revealed and will be manifested. You know, even sometimes in our lives, there are things that we consider to be hidden things. Do you know that there are even things in this area of category of hidden things that people try to hide from themselves? Do you know that people will hide things from themselves? Do you know that human beings, especially the very intelligent ones, can devise psychological little ways of not remembering certain things? Do you know that? And hide those things even from their own memory and recollections. But the Word of God says that there's nothing that will be ultimately hidden. Everything will be revealed and made manifest. And then Jesus, in verse 23, he began to talk about this idea of hearing. Hearing things. And, and the, the kind of care we should take with regard to what we hear. Let me read this and then perhaps a few questions will just come to mind. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Well, who qualifies? <laughs> who, which one of us, which of us qualify? Do we have ears to hear with? Do we have the capacity for hearing? And he said to them, take heed what you hear with what measure you meet. This is old English. I'm reading from King James. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that here shall more be given. And what that really is, what that really means, what Jesus is saying, is just be very, very careful what you hear. So, if you were to, uh, if you were to write, take a sheet of paper, and put on the sheet of paper the kinds of things that you listen to in any given day, what would that look like? What kind of things do you hear? 
what kind of what kind of music, what kind of words, what kind of ideas, what kind of things do you listen to? What kind of conversations do you engage in and like to be a part of? What do you hear? Because Jesus is saying to the people, be very careful what you hear. And he said this, what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. The Amplified Bible talks about this and says that the, the, the measure or the degree of thought and study you give to what you hear is the kind of information or insight that comes back to you. In other words, that if you want to really see and have insight into something, then be very committed to hearing that. Dedicate yourself to listening. Be a listener. Be a hearer. Jesus said that those who refuse to listen, then even the little bit that they have will be taken away. But those who embrace the idea of listening and dedicate themselves to hearing, they will hear more and more and more and more. Then he said, For he that has, to him shall be given, and he that has not from him shall be taken even what he has. Then in the next verse uh, of Mark chapter 4 and verse 26, Jesus uses a parable. So there are two parables. We'll read these two parables. First, it's a parable involving the seed the concept of planting seed into the earth. And he said, so, um, so is the kingdom of God as or like a simile. This is like this. As if a man should cast seed into the ground. What is going to happen? You take the seed and you put the seed into the ground. Miracle of miracles. You know what's going to happen. That seed has life in it. That seed has life in it. Leave it on the shelf and nothing will happen, but put it into the earth and stand back and watch what happens. Because the nature in that seed, the life that is in that seed, after it dies, will produce after its kind. And so he said, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is like a man who casts seed into the ground. And remember, these are parables. So in other words, there's a spiritual parallel to this. There's, he's talking about natural things, literal things, natural things, but there's a spiritual parallel to this. So it's, the idea is not just planting seeds into the ground. The idea is that this planting of seed into the ground is like something spiritual. What's it like? It's like the word of God being planted in you. It's like the word of God being planted in you and me. I remember when I was 26 years old and there was a visitation to my soul. came very unexpectedly. came as a wonderful gift to me. And a visit, during that visitation to my own soul, mind, and intelligence, verses of scripture that I had learned as a child came back to my memory and understanding. And I began to say them. I began to say them. How could I say them? Because they had been planted by Sunday school teachers, by my parents, by listening to sermons, even though I could hardly wait for the thing to get over so I could get out of there. <laughs> Just being truthful about it. But nevertheless, these were being planted. So he said, it's like 
man cast seed into the ground and, and he should sleep. He goes, he, he goes sleep and he gets up and, and goes back to bed at night. And during this time that he rises and goes back to bed and rises again, as time passes, he said in the seed should spring and grow up and he knows not how. He doesn't stand, understand all the intricacies of it. But here it is coming forth from the ground. See, the word of God is like that, planted. Planted. He said, for the earth brings forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, the process of growth, the plant. After that, the full corn in the ear. Now we're getting somewhere. It says, but when the fruit is brought forth, in other words, when the fullness, when the fruit is produced, then immediately they put in the sickle. You know what a sickle is? That's what you use to reap with, right? to harvest with. Immediately they put in the sickle because the harvest has come. I think we should call our little chat today, our discussion together. Why don't we call it the harvest is come, right? The harvest is come. I want to say the harvest is coming. The harvest is a lot nearer now than it's ever been. And there's a certain kind of maturing and there's a certain kind of growth that is required by God's people in order to be ready for this harvest. And when, he says, when the fruit is brought forth, when the fruit is brought forth, and you look at it, I remember uh, Mr. Brock used to live down out here on the sea line. And my brother John and I, a number of years ago, we went to buy some uh, fall wheat from him because we were going to plant some fall wheat back in those days. We were overcome with nostalgia and we wanted to revisit our youth. And <laughs> we decided we would be farmers. <laughs> and neither of us really tailored for the job of being a farmer, but we decided we were going to be farmers. Buy some fall wheat, let's plant this fall wheat. So we did all that. Mr. Brock, it was so funny, because he had these, uh, this wheat all in this old house they used as a granary, and he kept telling us about this story about how he came to know when the, when the harvest was ready to be combined. And it was so funny because he'd say, I had a call from so-and-so, and I went over, and they wanted me to combine, and I had a combine, and I went over, and I looked at it, and I said to him, oh, it's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. Ten days, two weeks, he said. He told us a list. He gave us a list of several individuals, and in every case, it was, "Oh, the harvest is not ready yet. It ten days to two weeks." I'll never forget. Ten days to two weeks. What he was trying to say, though, and what he did say, is that when this harvest is ready and ripe, then immediately we're going to bring that combine into the field, and we're going to harvest it. And it's the same way with the harvest at the end of this age. Verse 30, another parable. He said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? He said, It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, it's less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. You see, the word of God is so powerful, so awesome, so wonderful. 
And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it, but without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Then, in verse 35, we come to something very different. In the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, to his disciples, let's pass over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. He was tired. He was weary. And there were also with him other little ships. And as they passed over on the Sea of Galilee, it says, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. The water was actually waves were the water was actually coming right into the ship. And what was he doing? He was you know, he was he was sleeping. <laughs> Said that he was in the hinder part or the back of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Asleep on a pillow. Everything is just breaking all around them. And there's Fear is mounting and growing and increasing, and the water is coming actually into the ship. Surely he will wake up and do something about this problem. He's fast asleep on a pillow. So it says they awake him. They, they, They woke him up, and they said unto him, Master, do you not care that we perish? In other words, we're we're about to perish here. We're about to be lost at sea. Don't you care? So many sermons and teachings and discussions on this. I'm not going to go into all those. Here's what we want to see. And he arose and he did something so remarkable. I think maybe as we come to a conclusion here this morning, not taking a lot of time, But as we come to a conclusion, I believe it will be right for us to look at the idea that we're moving moving into a period of time where there's going to emerge into the earth two different kinds of humanity, two different kinds of man. And by man, I, I don't mean specific gender, I mean mankind. There are going to be two different kinds of man that are going to continually manifest and continue to manifest as we move towards the end of this age. The one is Christ-like. The other is the man of lawlessness or the man of sin, spoken of in Second Thessalonians. Now this description in Second Thessalonians of the man of sin or the Antichrist, is this going to be a specific individual? May well be may well be manifested as a specific individual at the end of the age. But the kind of man that he is is going to be manifested increasingly in human beings as we approach the end of the age. But the kind of person that Messiah Jesus is is going to be manifested increasingly as we approach the end of the age. Do you know that? What kind of man are you going to be? What kind of person are you? It's not just who you're going to be. It's who are you inside in the seed of your life. 
the place where the seed is planted. Because you are a person into whom is being planted seed. And the seed that's being planted in your life and mine is word seed. Word seed. The kinds of things. How is it planted? By hearing. By you listening. That's how it's planted. So he uh, rose from his sleep and he began to speak to the wind and then to the, we- to the waves of the sea. Did you ever imagine such a thing? And he said to the wind, he said, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? <laughs> Why are you so fearful? <laughs> Why? <laughs> he, he slept through the real, you know, the part that caused them such fear. He, he just slept through that part. And when he awoke and saw the situation, he just said, Well, We'll just deal with this, no problem here. Just wind, peace, be still, be calm, quieten down, settle down. And obeyed him. It says, and they feared exceedingly. This is a different kind of fear now. And they said one to another, what manner of man is this? What kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. But I can take you to a passage of Scripture as we come to a conclusion. I can take you to a passage of Scripture right now in Ephesians chapter 4. A passage you love to read, I know. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, talks about these gifts that the, that the Lord gives to his church in terms of different kinds of ministry gifts. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and some teachers. And he gave them for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Until, listen to this, allow this to uh, hear this. (laughs) Hear this. His purpose was until we all come in the unity of the faith. Are we in the unity of the faith? Not very much. But the purpose is, is to bring his people into the unity of the faith. There's only one faith. But sometimes we're not very unified with regard to that one faith. But the purpose of these five, of this fivefold ministry is to, we all come into the unity, unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, perfect kind of humanity, a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And what that is saying is that the purpose of the fivefold ministry is to bring those who belong to Christ Jesus through the ministry of his provided word and gifts and graces to grow them up in the body of Christ so that they come to a fullness of stature of maturity. And in that mature stature, state that they come into, you know who they're like? They're like unto him. They're like unto Jesus. And this is going to happen in a very pronounced way as we move 
towards the end of the age. And as that happens, in this realm of time and space, we're going to see more and more and more the other kind of humanity which is described as, as the man of lawlessness or the man of sin. You say, what's the difference between the two? The difference between the two is the animating principle and the spirit within them. The one is uh, animated and uh, informed by and, and filled with the spirit of God and his word and his truth and his anointing and his life and grows to become in the fullness of it, the, the mature, the idea of the fruit is to be Christ-like. Ministering the way he did, speaking the way he spoke, even doing the very works that he did. The other man, the other kind of humanity, the man of sin, is animated from within by the spirit of deception, a satanic spirit, an antichrist spirit the spirit of this world. Both of them are temples. One is a temple of God's spirit. The other is the temple of the Antichrist spirit, satanic spirit. Each have anointing. One has the anointing of God's spirit upon them and refreshed by it and invigorated by it and made alive by it. The other has an anointing, but it's a dark, evil anointing. It may even come as an angel of light. It may appear to be religious. It can be very religious, but it's satanic. But it anoints them, and when it anoints them, they feel as if they are anointed, and they operate under an authority and an enthusiasm, as if it is God, but it is not God at all. Masquerades as, but it is not. And both of these are going to grow unto the harvest. And at the harvest, there will be this great separation. I'm not going to try to separate because I don't, I don't have the authority to separate. But the separation will come. And so I want to close this morning with saying to you this. It's sickle time, right? It's time for the sickle. Harvest time. Harvest time is approaching rapidly. Could I offer this just as before Ruth comes, could I just offer this word of encouragement? I trust this is all encouraging. Depends upon where you are, how encouraging it may be. You know, everything is sort of out there in the world. Um, uh, North Korea, right? China, Iran, our friends and neighbors to the south and the turmoil and tumult that's occurring there, even within our own nation, our own country. If we were to look at much of this, sometimes we just think, and you know, everything's just falling apart. This is just going to be horrible. Everything is just, oh my, this is terrible. Um, this is as it is intended to be. It is proceeding to the conclusion. God is not taken unawares or by surprise in any of this, and you and I should not be also. All these are indications of the, of the rapid approach of the end of the age. But let's leave with this thought. Determine which kind of human, which kind of man you are going to be. And how will you do that? 
by determining what kind of message, what kind of word you're going to listen to and love and embrace and choose and select. Because what is planted in you will determine who you will be and where you will end up at the very end. What is planted in you. But what is planted in you is not arbitrary. It's not just planted without your consent and without your approval. It's planted by what you hear, what we hear.